trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Let me just take a guess here. All right, I'm like the guy at the carnival. Guess your weight. Guess your weight. Actually, what I would like to guess is you're looking for some information today. A little something to shed some light on the world in which we live. But more importantly, to provide some perspective as to what you and I can do to continue to make our mark on the world, irrespective of how, uh, how crazy things may be getting. Well, I'm going to deliver. I've got some great stuff to share with you today, including share some advice on 10 ways to live like a millionaire, even if your bank account is empty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I, that, I jumped on that one as well. Also, uh, we'll talk about why you should use cash to buy guns moving forward. Got a great article from Judge Napolitano on that very uh, subject. We'll talk about gender ideology and the paganization of Western culture. And I want to start with an acknowledgement that the world of information is changing very quickly. In fact, we live in a fact checker's paradise. And that's where we're going to begin today. Let me start, as always, by thanking the sponsors who make this program possible. They include my friends at hslammo.com. MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, and GarageDoorProServices.com. So let's uh, let's dive in here. The Good Citizen Substack, if you haven't subscribed, you really should do this. Not only will you find a lot of really well-thought-out, well-researched information, but uh, The Good Citizen just has a great sense of humor. And frankly, there are times when I need that humor to get me through the day, or at least convince me that, you know what, We can still cut this thing down to size as long as we can laugh at it. So here's what the good citizen has to say about living in the fact checkers paradise. The idea being that most people still don't know the real sources of disinformation. The good citizen says the world of information as we knew it during Web 1.0 is over. Web 2.0 has been a disaster. The official returns are in after a decade of tech monopolies permitted to grow beyond comprehension while colluding behind the scenes with Western governments to manage impressions and deceive billions. Now, this is going to sound shocking, but I can't disagree here. The good citizen says the Internet is effectively dead. It has no pulse. They put it on global disinformation, remdesivir, fact-checking drip, and they murdered it. But good citizen, what about Substack in the direct-to-inbox newsletter format? Well, uh, for how much longer, says the good citizen, knock on wood. One paid subscriber who helped create the uh, pensioner discount subscription option for the good citizen Substack recently said Hotmail was stuffing his spam folder with the good citizen's emails. In fact, he hadn't seen one in weeks. So how long until Gmail follows? How long until the government just leans on all these panty-waist nerd factories and just starts deleting them right when they hit your inbox. Maybe the government can do what it does best and destroy it all by incentivizing censorship the same way they incentivized death at hospitals. $10 per blocked email address, $50,000 per banned newsletter, 
Congress can kick it off with the Internet Cares Act. PayPal's now ditching substackers after a half decade of targeting anyone to the right of AOC. Bank of America dropped Trump voters who sniffed out election fraud. Wells Fargo is too good for adult film stars who woke one day to recently find all their banking services deleted. Yes, the same Wells Fargo that created millions of fake accounts without customer permission and laundered billions in Mexican cartel drug money. That Wells Fargo. The White House and all federal, all regime federal agencies, rather, are directing censorship efforts right to the offices of all major attention networks who are eager to oblige in the name of combating disinformation, which has always been new speak for the truth. The Good Citizen says Google is a laughable mess of officialdom propaganda smut after any search that isn't related to weather or maps. Search out any words connected to any topic that's even remotely political, and the first 20 pages will be corporate state-sponsored lectures on how you must think about it and why you dare not deviate from that narrative or risk being misinformed. And then, mysteriously, their 8 million search results just end after 25 pages. They're erasing the Internet before our eyes to control all information. DuckDuckGo is now DuckDuckGone. Their one sales point was not being Google, and they couldn't even keep that up through the pandemic. Brave Search appears to be some kind of homage to defunct late 90s web crawlers that would spit out everything you didn't want. They had misleading names like Excite and Yahoo, when more appropriate names would have been WTF. Or are you kidding me? Sorry, I had to clean that one up. Pre-Search has a nice design, but the results feed looks like a bunch of Google ads. And the good citizen says, when I, re- when I pre-searched Project Bluebeam to see if I'd hit all those great webs- Web 1.0 sites about top-secret government holographic UFO projects and maybe even a soon-to-be psyop that will make the Earth stand still, like Orson Welles reading H.G. Wells on the radio in 1938, but it was a miserable failure. Pre-searching Project Bluebeam just gave me retail Polish sites for flashlights. If I pre-searched Trojan Horse, will it spit out retail sites for equine fleshlights? Is it so much to ask for the decentralized nerd brigade of Web 3.0 to build the future with a starting point of a new search engine that functions 60% as well as Google search did seven years ago, but will never collude with Globo's psycho to rig results? He says their single rule should be to bury all known corporate state filth like Snopes, Reuters, and NewsGuard affiliates 15 pages deep in the results and to apply a universal warning label. This result is a known propaganda outlet with ties to organizations that want you and your family dead. I know some are going, hey, that's a little over the top, but no, I I don't disagree. (laughs) I think he's right. Now, the amount of work required to find anything resembling honesty or truth is beyond the limits of the average midwit. Drooling half-wit surfing surfing web 1.0 sites that look like ancient HTML digital cave art will have much better odds at finding the truth than anyone on the latest iPhones swiping their way through perfectly manicured government-funded dark money sites with Orwellian partners like the Trusted News Initiative with highly optimized responsive web design. Their online propaganda yells out, yells out at you like a desperate pretty girl's best friend and not the smart and clever ones from the 1980 rom-coms. 
Hi, over here. Look what we posted for you to read about that subject you're searching for. Click us. We're authoritative and official corporate sponsors or partners rather with Acme Truth Tellers Limited and Daddy Warbucks Foundation for smart internet browsing. Now the good citizen says, look, if one hasn't self-trained to reflexively sniff out that BS at first sight by now, they're probably lining up for a third booster. And well, them's the social Darwin breaks. Maybe that's all the Western world has been reduced to now. Our waking existence is one long IQ test of rising out of bed day after day, looking at loved ones and asking, how is our government working for Globo Psycho going to try to kill us today? They should be asking, why do we keep paying taxes to a government that wants us dead? Now, of course, .gov knew that people would eventually find out about their death incentive payments and then maybe even start to have second thoughts about funding this slaughter with another dollar of taxes. Oh, look at this headline. White House economic advisor won't say if 87,000 new IRS agents will audit those making under $400,000. Huh. Does intentional government death still sound like hyperbole? He says Rockefeller Rockefeller captured all of the American death management systems over a century ago. They sprayed people with DDT for a decade, knowing it was toxic. They created an epidemic of autism in children with childhood vaccine schedules and then covered it up to keep doing it. They hid cancer cures and murdered holistic doctors that offered them. They spray the skies with deadly metals. They routinely experiment on American soldiers and with the secret Pentagon medical projects. The USDA let the sugar industry create the food pyramid for children in schools. They murdered Americans in hospitals when they could have treated them instead so that the entire nation would soil its collective trousers and race to the vaccines for safety. How many fact checkers do you remember telling you that hospitals were being paid to kill patients? The returns are now coming in and the only conclusion anyone who hasn't been using Google search for two years can arrive at is to finally admit why, yes, good citizen, it appears my government wants me dead. The CARES Act included billions of dollars to school districts that enforced vaccine mandates, masking, and social distancing. The hospital incentives were essentially medical firing squads. And aside from the mass slaughter, the point of all this total government control of information and industries, the government brought, bought rather loyalty from the industries that it seeks to socialize. Now, there is much more to this article. I'm going to let you discover it on your own. I've got a link to the Good Citizens article in my show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. If you haven't subscribed, you might want to consider doing that. I'll drop a copy of those show notes into your email, I'm sorry, your email inbox each and every morning on the days that I do this show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. This program is brought to you daily by Garage Door Pros. This is a local company to St. George, Cedar City, Mesquite, Colorado City, that beautiful southwest corner of Utah and part of Arizona, part of Nevada. This is where they will install, service, and repair garage doors, both commercially as well as residentially. Quick response time, much faster lead than other companies can give you. If you'd like to call Garage Door Pros, you can do so at 435-525-2773. 
Better still, jump on their website, garagedoorproservices.com. And when you reach out to them, tell them thanks for being a sponsor of this program. Well, we're swiftly moving toward a monetary system that will either punish us or reward us based on political compliance. It's actually having this conversation with a couple of people over the last couple of days about central bank digital currencies, which that is the trend. It's not just the U.S. The most developed nations are moving toward digital currencies. And I mean, you can see why. It makes it so much easier to track every dime that you earn. It makes it easier to track every single penny that you spend. But when you start applying social credit scores, suddenly government, or at least whoever's in power at the moment has influence over how your money is used. That's why Judge Andrew Napolitano says you should use cash to buy guns from this point forward. He says under pressure from the governors of New York and California and their enormous state pension funds, Visa, MasterCard, and American Express Express, have agreed to keep a list of commercial transactions made through their credit card systems at gun shops. Now, these credit card middlemen make more money the more purchasers spend, but this pivot to social activism, though lawful, is dangerous to freedom and manifests an antipathy toward constitutional norms by the corporations whose services many of us employ without a second thought. Of course, government involvement is unconstitutional. Now, these pension funds, managed by state government officials with known animosities to lawful gun ownership, are large shareholders in the credit card companies. Their public pressure on the credit card companies to do anything to chill lawful gun ownership constitutes the use of use of government financial power to erode Second Amendment rights, which the Supreme Court, by the way, has upheld three times since 2008. The government officials who've pushed the credit card companies to do this apparently don't take their oaths seriously to uphold the Constitution or Perhaps they deceptively take the oath of office to a constitution as they wish it to be and not as the court has interpreted it. Now, the court has defined the right to keep guns in the home in a case called Heller and the right to carry guns outside the home in a case called Bruin as a fundamental personal right of pre-political origins. Stated differently, the right to own, carry, and use a gun is a modern-day extension of the ancient right to self-defense which is a natural right. The courts recognize that adults may own, carry, and use the same level of weaponry that the bad guys do and that the government uses. This is so because the dual purposes of the Second Amendment are to recognize and protect the right to shoot crazies and thugs who are killing or threatening innocents before the police arrive and the right to shoot at agents of a totalitarian government or an invading force. Just three months ago in the Bruin case, The court ruled that the Second Amendment's protections are not second class. Rather, they are co-extensive with the protections of the First Amendment. Now, that amendment, of course, recognizes the natural rights to think as you wish, to say what you think, to publish what you say, to associate or not with whomever you please, and to worship how you wish or not. These rights, along with the rights to self-defense, property ownership, and the right to be left alone, are the fundamental natural rights utilized by all persons, all rational persons, in the pursuit of happiness. Now, back to the big state pension funds, cajoling the credit card companies to keep the records for the government. The records are of no commercial value to the credit card companies. 
So if you buy a $2,000 gun safe or $2,000 in gun safety lessons or $2,000 in guns and ammunition at a gun shop, the credit card company's lists will just show a $2,000 gun shop purchase. They will not show the item acquired. Since the right inferred here is fundamental, that's the highest category of rights we have, it's unconstitutional for government to lift a finger against it. From 1934 to 2022, the states have had near carte blanche to interfere with gun ownership outside of the home. That was based on a now-reversed, poorly articulated, and profoundly unjust Supreme Court decision called Miller v. U.S., in which only the government's lawyers were heard, and the states made the most of the authoritarian authorization Miller granted to them. Yet in 2008, and again this year, the Supreme Court finally recognized that Miller was wrongly heard, meaning hearing only the government side of the case, and wrongly decided, holding that the, state, that the Second Amendment rather only protected state militias. Thus, the same big government states that Miller unleashed, Heller and Bruin now restrain. Now, of course, the anti-gun crowd has difficulty accepting this, just as they do any court decision that liberates folks from government clutches. Yet we and they would lead all would all lead the howls of complaint if the credit card companies reported our book purchases or internet usage fees to the government. Judge Napolitano says we already have massive spying on us by the feds and the states. And this is done not by search warrants as the Fourth Amendment requires, but by government at all levels ignoring the Fourth Amendment. He says, as this column argued last week, the billions of dollars spent on this surveillance is largely without express legislative authorization and consists at the federal level of exploitation of the intelligence community's secret budgets and at the local and state levels of police slush funds with expenditures not authorized by a proper legislative body after a proper public debate. So where does this leave us? Well, he says it leaves us with certain knowledge that many of our elected folks, folks we have hired to protect our rights, do not take their oaths of office seriously. In fact, it leaves us with a national gun registry nowhere authorized by the Constitution. And it leaves us with the knowledge that the feds have yet another avenue on which to violate our privacy by creepily looking at our credit card bills. Now, many states already unconstitutionally keep track of gun ownership. Thanks to the credit card companies, the feds can now do so as well. So what should you do if you used a credit card to make a gun shop purchase and the feds come knocking at your door asking to see your hardware? You should ask to see their search warrant. They won't have one, in which case you should politely say, have a good day and close and lock your door. Then call your local police and report unwanted knocking on your door by an armed stranger. Does anyone in government take rights seriously? Wow. Got to admit, the judge is sounding a little bit subversive here, but I like it. As far as the idea of, well, I guess we just use cash to buy guns. I've heard a lot of people say this since the news came out about the credit card company saying, well, we're going to go ahead and track and, you know, anything that you spend at a gun store, we'll go ahead and report. That's fine. I've been needing to cut up my credit cards anyway, so I don't I don't use them, but but very very rarely. But I'm more than happy to use cash. In fact, I'm more than happy to avail myself of the private uh, property 
selling uh, option, and and that is you know purchasing guns outside of the federal background check system and federally licensed dealers. Now, unfortunately, that's not legal everywhere, but in many states it still is. And if your state is one of them, then I would encourage you take advantage of that to buy your firearms without having to create a government paper trail. It's, it's pretty well known at this point that people in power really don't like the idea of an armed citizenry. And it's not because you're some kind of an insurrectionist. It's because it gives you the ability to say no when they come to you with some idea that's so good that they have to make it mandatory. Vaccinations might be an example of this. If you have the ability to say no, and if necessary, to make it stick by negating the force that they would bring against you, well, you have options, my friend. You don't like a free person would. And that's what makes these people in power so frightened. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. And thanks again to HSLAmmo.com for being a sponsor of this program. If you haven't checked out their website or you haven't stopped by, if you live in southern Utah, you should probably uh, consider buying some ammunition from them. High quality, new and remanufactured ammunition. Not only a great way to improve your skills at arms, but also a great store of value. The other precious metals, as we sometimes call them. You know, we're all feeling the pinch economically right now, but that's not exactly reason to put on sackcloth and ashes, right? I mean, we're we're paying more. What was the statistic I saw earlier today? I think it was dining at home has actually gone up more in price in the last year than in the last 40 years. We've seen a bigger increase in one year than uh, the last 40 years have shown. That's pretty impressive. Not in a good way, but I mean, it's like, wow, those costs have really gone up. In fact, I was uh, I was at the grocery store the other day, and and I'm going to share a little secret here. Um, I like to pick up what's called bacon ends and pieces. So you know those nice strips of bacon. This is the the pieces that didn't come out quite so neat. But the nice thing about it is you could buy um, three pounds of bacon ends and pieces, and I'm talking good quality name brand bacon. For it was about six bucks forever for a long long time. I just noticed the other day, first of all, they disappeared from the shelves for a while. And I was like, oh, man, my source of bacon, <laughs> it's, it's being threatened. But then I noticed the packages are back. The price is now 7 something. I think it may be seven ninety nine. But the, the real kicker for me, and this was like a punch in the stomach to, to pick this up and realize that's not three pounds of bacon. Yep, the price has jumped from $6 to nearly $8.00. Well, we've taken away a pound of bacon from the package. Shrinkflation, I believe they call it. Yeah, I don't know why. Maybe the fact it was bacon, but I, I felt that one. And it was very painful. Thank you for caring. So anyway, we feel the pinch, but uh, I, I want to talk about something very positive, And that is the idea that you can live like a millionaire even if you don't have a million bucks in the bank. This is an article from David David Vexler that uh, was published a couple days ago on the Foundation for Economic Education's website. 
and it's 10 suggestions, lifestyle habits and benefits of the wealthy that you really don't need any money to start. Let me give you an example here. Number one, be fit. Okay, I'm not a great example of this, but there is a strong negative correlation between wealth and obesity in wealthy countries. Why is that? Well, contrary to popular belief, David Vexler says the rich aren't slimmer because a healthy diet is more expensive or they can afford personal trainers. They are slimmer because they invest more thought into what they eat. This is because the wealthy have a lower time preference. They're willing to forego the short-term pleasure of a sugar rush for the long-term reward of truly delicious food, good health, and good looks. In developed countries where calories are cheap, food choice is determined by three factors, stress, culture, and availability. Now, stress is the main determinant of time preference in regard to food. Chronic stress makes us unable to make intelligent decisions about what to eat. And, of course, dietary sugar is the main pharmacological compound we use to deal with stress. Sugar and other processed carbohydrates are the main cause of obesity. For non-athletes, exercise has little to do with it. So, David Vexler says there's a lot more to say on this topic, but to sum it up, if you can learn to manage your stress, you will learn to manage your cravings. You'll choose to develop a culture of cooking real food, and even though good food will not be as available to you, you can learn to go out of your way for it. Okay, that actually makes sense, and especially the part about stress eating. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Number two, he says, wear well-fitting clothes. The fashionable rich aren't stylish because they can afford luxury brands. They're fashionable because they're conscious of fit and style. You don't need to go to a bespoke hot couture tailor to dress well. You can find something that fits you at goodwill, but you need to do free online research and make a conscious effort to design your wardrobe. Men, check out The Art of Manliness. Women, check out EV Magazine. If you do one thing, don't wear baggy clothing. It makes you look sloppy and adolescent. Get close-fitting, tailored clothing that shows off your form. It only costs a few dollars to get your pants fitted at a tailor. I like this next suggestion about living like a millionaire even if your bank account is empty. Show up on time and be fully present. Now, the rich aren't always punctual and the poor aren't always late, but the wealthy can afford to be physically and mentally present for occasions that they deem worth their time, and that's something a lot of humans struggle to do. Number four, he says, take care in your appearance. No amount of wealth will give you a younger body, and plastic surgery can only do so much. But here are some free or low-cost ways to dramatically slow down aging and look younger. So here are some suggestions for both women and men. Use sun protection. Sun exposure is the main cause of photo-aging, or what dermatologists call skin permanently damaged by sun exposure. Wearing covering clothing and sunscreen is a lot cheaper than the very expensive treatments to repair that damage. Also, keep a grooming routine. Well-cared-for hair makes a huge difference in appearance for both men and women. And take care of your face. I don't want to sound like your mom, he says, but things like brushing your teeth, washing your face, and using a daily moisturizer really do make you look a lot younger and prevent damage that comes from aging. I love this next suggestion, too. Ways to live like a millionaire even if your bank account is empty. Number five suggestion, raise a big family. Now, while there's a relationship between poverty and more children, the cost of raising kids is one of the main reasons parents don't have more children. 
Well, estimates vary. The average cost of raising a child at the age of 18 was more than $270,000 in 2022. Children are expensive at all income levels because the expectations of parents grow proportionally, proportionately rather with income. But parenting doesn't have to consume your entire salary. The mistake made by many is to think that being a good parent means spending money on superficial signs of a good parent rather than spending time being a parent. So, for example, he says, we took our daughter out of an expensive private school because she was struggling to read. And David Vexler says, my wife found a homeschooling curriculum that worked well for my daughter, and she worked with her until she was able to read at her grade level. No school teacher, no matter how elite the private school, could have invested so much time and energy into experimenting with English learning programs over a period of years. He says, we don't shuttle our kids from one expensive activity to another, but we go hiking, play chess, and cook together. Being a parent is cheaper and more rewarding than hiring someone else to parent your child. That's true. And the memories you create are the things that those kids are going to remember. I'm ashamed it took me to, so long to figure that out, but, but it's true. Number six, he suggests work at having a successful marriage. There is a strong relationship between divorce, single parenthood, and poverty. Why do the poor get divorced more often? Well, the root cause might be an inability and unwillingness to negotiate conflict. All relationships take work and generate stress. Successful couples can take time to do the work because they manage their stress. Couples who divorce let stress and resentment build up. By the way, the same thing can be said for your work relationships. Once the appeal of money wears off, you have to find your work rewarding to overcome the inevitable challenges and personality conflicts to thrive in your role. Okay, suggestion number seven, complain less. Wealthy people are happier, while the poor are much more likely to be depressed. Part of the reason is that the rich can throw money at problems, but a more fundamental reason is that the poor have a scarcity mindset, while the wealthy have an abundance mindset. You understand the difference, right? The abundance mindset sees the universe as full of opportunity for friendship and love and financial success. By contrast, the scarcity mindset sees everything as a fixed pie, and that leads to hoarding, envy, and stagnation in almost every aspect of life. Suggestion number eight, learn to enjoy great art. Now, while the rich can afford an original Banksy on their wall or pay to have Will I Am attend their kid's bar mitzvah, the world's greatest paintings are in public museums, and great music and film are nearly free for you in, to enjoy if you develop a taste for it. Number nine, keep a clean house. Yes, the wealthy can afford to hire housekeepers to pick up after them, but if you're poor, you have an advantage they don't. You have fewer possessions and less space to store them. So while weekly cleaning is necessary for every household, being organized is more important. By putting things away after you use them and teaching your kids to do the same, you can keep your home from becoming a mess in the first place. Last but not least, number 10, he suggests don't stress about money. In developed countries, stress about money is the worst aspect of poverty, worse than the physical deprivation it forces. Few people in America have to worry about going hungry or homeless, but many more live paycheck to paycheck with chronic stress about money. A $500 surprise expense would put most Americans into debt. So the solution to money stress is really quite simple. You ready for this? Live below your means and build an emergency fund. It's easier to not stress about money when you're young and broke. When you're starting out, all you need to worry about is living below your means and keeping your emergency cash fund. 
topped off. Gets a little more complicated, though, as you become a little more established. Again, I've got this article from David Vexler linked in my show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. 10 ways to live like a millionaire, even if your account is empty. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, thanks for being a part of our growing audience of wrong thinkers. And if this hits the right note with you, if you say, you know, this is good information or this this makes me think, let me ask you the small favor of please tell a friend. Recommend it to them. If it's, if it's not their cup of tea, that's okay. I don't take offense. This this is not a message that's for everybody. This is for people that are more serious about truth than they are about simply staying comfortable. Which, unfortunately, that describes the vast majority of people today. I'd rather stay comfortable. Tell me comfortable lies. Don't worry me with things that are going on. And certainly don't tell me what I can be doing. I guess it's part of that whole victim mindset. I'm not responsible for my circumstances. Why? Well, because I'm a victim. Yeah, don't be a victim. Live like a free person. That's what, that's what the information I share is to help you do. Understand what's going on around you. Understand what you could do to make things better. By the way, quick shout out here to lifesavingfood.com. I've, I've harped on uh, the importance of food storage and preparedness for a long, long time. I don't know if you knew this, but September is National Preparedness Month. So if you're looking for an excuse, hey, it's National Preparedness Month. Maybe consider uh, getting yourself just a little bit more squared away. I will tell you this. People who are prepared sleep better at night. Their life isn't free from challenges, but their ability to handle and address those challenges, yeah, that's, that's greatly increased. All right. So if it's true that what goes up quickly comes down quickly, I'm thinking we will be seeing an epic return to Earth of the gender identity movement sometime in the near future. Got a great article here from Dr. Michael Egnor explaining gender ideology and the paganization of Western culture. Dr. Egnor says, I'm a cultural pessimist. He says, I think our nation's on a catastrophic moral path. But I must admit that despite my red-pilled perspective on our rotting culture, radical trans ideology has shocked me. Of course, there have always been people who wish they were what they are not. And that includes, in rare instances, men who wish they were women and women who wish they were men. These people are generally deeply unhappy and suffer greatly. They should be treated with understanding and compassion. Each of us struggles in life, and their struggle is particularly difficult. But the widespread acceptance of radical gender ideology, well, he says that is cultural insanity. Radical gender ideology is itself nonsense at best and radical evil at worst. The best place to start with understanding radical gender ideology is to ask, does it even make sense? On Dr. Phil's television show, conservative commentator Matt Walsh asked of Dr. Phil's trans guests a remarkably simple question. What is a woman? His interlocutors couldn't answer the question, although it is at the heart of their claim to be a woman. A trans woman asserts that he, I insist on using real pronouns, is a woman. He doesn't merely insist that he feels like a woman or wants to be a woman. Those are meaningful assertions rather and can be true. Instead, he insists that he is a woman, misplaced in a man's body. Now, that's not a meaningful assertion, nor can it be true. 
In order to assert, I am a woman, one must have the definition of woman. An assertion must be pointed at something. Being a woman in this case, one must be able to define woman to meaningfully assert that he is one. However, all cogent definitions of woman are inconsistent with the assertion that a man can be a woman. I mean, a woman is a human being with two X chromosomes and who has at least the potential to have secondary characteristics of womanhood like an actual uterus, your ovaries, breasts, etc. This is simple biology, and you don't have to be a biologist to know it. A man who has had pharmacological or surgical alterations to mimic some aspects of womanhood is not a woman. He is a pharmacologically altered or surgically mutilated man. So how can a trans activist answer the question, what is a woman? The only available answer to a trans activist is for the activist to reply, it is what I want to be. But that's not an answer. That's merely circular. The assertion, I am a trans woman, is literally nonsense. A person may be a man who wants to be a woman or a man who believes he is a woman or be a man who feels like a woman, but he cannot be a woman because woman necessarily has meaning and no man fits that definition. So despite the logical gibberish, trans activism has had a frightening impact on medical practice and medical ethics. Gender affirmation clinics exist in medical centers across the country. Many clinics offer hormonal treatment, even radical surgery to children and adults. Boston Children's Hospital, probably the most prominent children's hospital in the country, has offered mastectomies to girls as young as 15 for gender reassignment and has offered patients phalloplasty, the surgical creation of a penis, metoidioplasty, cutting tissue to lengthen the clitoris, creation of a scrotum with testicular implants, hysterectomy, vaginoplasty uh, to older adolescents. In its response to intense public criticism, Boston Children's Hospital recently changed its website to claim that going forward, it will restrict operations to people over 18 years of age, although it continues to treat mentally ill children with hormones in anticipation of surgical alterations when they come of age. Seattle Children's Hospital was exposed recently for offering medicalized transition to children as young as nine years old. Now, please note that these radical medical treatments and surgical procedures are performed on mentally ill children and adults. And he says these patients are mentally ill by definition. If they were not ill, they would not be in need of medical treatment. And their illness is not physical. In other words, their sexual organs are healthy. Their illness is mental. And for that, they're subjected to radical medical intervention, including hormones of the type administered to sex offenders and mutilating surgery. Now, Dr. Egnor says, in Europe, there's been a shift away from radical and mutilating medical treatments for children and adults with gender dysphoria. The, national, the British National Health Service is closing its only youth gender clinic amid concerns about the extreme and irreversible nature of its treatments. Radical gender ideology in the medical profession is extreme medical malpractice dressed up in professional attire. How do we explain the astonishing emergence of this bizarre ideology, its chilling perversion of medical practice and ethics, and its pervasive influence in our culture? Well, he says it seems like mass psychosis, not medical care. He says, I propose that the rise of gender ideology is a byproduct of the rapidly emerging paganization of our culture. 
Theologian John N. Oswalt has noted that the central distinction between the pagan mythology and the Christian understanding of nature is that paganism asserts the essential continuity of all things, both within nature and between nature and the divine. The pagan view extends to abstractions and symbols. There's no distinction between symbols and reality. The abstract symbol is the reality. So, in this pagan view, the assertion by a man that he is a woman makes real that which it invokes. Maleness and femaleness are on a continuous spectrum, and gender identity can only be invoked, or can be invoked, rather, by mere incantation. So the distinction between men and women is only apparent. Pagan ideology denies fixed essences, nature is fungible, pagan reality can be conjured by incantation. Only desire, not biology, is real. So, what is the impact on society of this pagan homogenization of nature and symbol, aside from the scandalous medical mistreatment and surgical mutilation of mentally ill children and adults. Well, philosopher René Girard warns that homogenization leads to mimetic rivalry, rivalry rather, a homogenization of society that ends in a war of all against all. And we can already see this conflict growing. For example, between trans activists and LGB activists, between trans activists and feminists, Trans activism, activism is already causing great conflict in women's sports. So this doctor says trans activism is just the latest pagan cult akin to the flourishing modern cult of child sacrifice. From the Christian viewpoint, it's logical gibberish, medical malpractice, and moral atrocity. But from the pagan viewpoint, it is the natural outworking of the pagan belief in the continuity and homogeneity of symbol and reality in nature. It arises from ancient pagan ways of understanding man and nature and, like child sacrifice, it poses a lethal threat to our rapidly de-Christianizing culture. Isn't that something? And it is very different from the Christian understanding. Because in Christian understanding, nature and man are creations of God, meaning we are essentially and irrevocably distinct from each other and from the divine. Human beings are distinct from non-rational animals, men are distinct from women, All creation is distinct from God. In the Christian understanding of nature, things have essences that define them, and their essences, like manhood and womanhood, for example, can't be altered just by wishing or by incantation. Pretty interesting thought. Again, uh, these are the words of uh, Dr. Michael Egnor, who is an MD, Gender Ideology and the Paganization of Western Culture. If nothing else, this article could bring a little peace of mind if you were feeling a little out of step for thinking, are we becoming pagan? Are we being paganized? Yeah, because the answer is definitively yes, we are. This is The Brian Hyde Show.